You're listening to the Spice Larder podcast, a monthly conversation featuring artisan producers, chefs, bakers, historians, spice experts, and more. I'm your host, Julia Roberts, and I'll be inviting guests to join me to discuss everything from gingerbread and port to food trends, spices, plus culinary and social history. You can subscribe to the Spice Larder podcast via our various media channels or via platforms such as Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts. To sign up to receive our regular updates and alerts, go to our website, gingerandspicefest.co.uk. A very warm welcome to episode 7 of the Spice Larder podcast. Brought to you via lockdown, so please excuse the sometimes patchy recording. In this episode, we star Shropshire's most charismatic chef and great supporter of local producers and the Ginger and Spice Festival, Chris Burt. During our interview, we find out about the inspiration behind Chris's quest to be a chef, his love of travel, spice, local produce and all things Salopian. We also find out about chilli and chocolate and why, when it comes to this globally adored food, Colombian is most certainly best. Yeah, so I think we were introed by James Sherwin and I stayed to watch your demo and we had a chat and what I was struck by straight away about you, Chris, which is your absolute generosity of spirit. You, you took your time out, you were about to demo, but you chatted to me, you um, introduced yourself and then we had a lovely chat. You agreed to help at a festival that you never heard about, the Ginger and Spice Festival, because it was the first year. And then you very, very kindly gave me a wonderful book. Momo Noki, and Noki, yeah. yeah, just out of the generosity of your heart and your spirit, and you left a really fantastic impression. And sort of since then, you've um, really headlined the food theatre at the festival for three years. You've been really loyal. You've been you've gathered people and and artisan producers and other chefs. So, as far as we're concerned at the festival, we you know we adore you and thank you so much for your support and help, Chris. Thank you very much. An absolute pleasure. pleasure to be so um, you've been a chef for quite a long time. Um, tell us a little bit about when you started and what inspired you to cook. My mum inspired me to cook. Um, I was brought up in West Africa, um, which was a very interesting start to sort of culinary activity because my mum, she was a chef. And by the time I was, I suppose, seven or eight i could slice vegetables properly i could season food i could make dishes from scratch so when we actually came back to england it was a natural progression that that is what i was destined to be i suppose yeah yeah wonderful and um so your mum she inspired you to cook but then you must have gone on um and trained and you know I did. Did you um, i trained at the savoy yeah. Um, I obviously went to catering college, but I managed to get a stage at the uh, at the Savoy, which was a complete culture shock. Going from working in a restaurant in Yorkshire to possibly one of the busiest restaurants um, and hotels in in London, um, it was cooking at a very high level. Um, I then sort of slowly made my way back up the country. Uh, did a stint at Le Manoir Cassazam uh, with Raymond Blanc, which was absolutely priceless 
And then there's inevitably what happens is you meet a girl and you end up in a town that you probably were never from, which is which is for me is Shrewsbury and 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 just Shropshire in in general is just it's such a wonderful place to be. I think the produce speaks volumes. I think the passion for local artists and producers is is almost second to none uh, in the country. And I, I think we're very, very lucky to work alongside such such wonderful producers. Yeah, absolutely. And we're obviously it's sort of landlocked agricultural county and, and lots of people living in cities would be desperate <coughs> for produce that's grown and produced in this county. And we really have it on our doorstep and at our fingertips. And then I know... Uh, wherever you work and wherever you have worked, you've always made really strong connections with producers locally um, and incorporate, yeah. incorporate that into everything you do. Well, it's been very, it was very, very, it became very apparent to me when I first came to Shropshire and, um, and I worked at a few places. I noticed the quality of, of, of the ingredients I was using was fantastic. Uh, and I took a bit of time out and I went traveling, went around the world. Um, not the first time. I, I'd, I'd subsequently done it over and over and over because there's always things you miss. But what I noticed was when I came back and I, um, we started at the peach tree, it was quite evident that there was just no point in buying all these, all these fresh meat and vegetables and buying it from around the world when it was on the doorstep. Um, and we had an opportunity to sort of go on a journey together with our suppliers and, and things grew from there. And, you know, I, things like Shrewsbury Food Festival, for instance, was it was very important at that sort of early stages to get all those local producers on board because they'd already been on this journey with us. And I, and I, I think in general, I think Shropshire's food scene is just incredible from, from beer, you know, local restaurants serving local produce all the way through to ginger and spice festival and all the little micro festivals that we have pop it i think the general interest in, in in food is incredible in our county yeah it's i mean it has so much to offer and it really does and i think shrewsbury's an interesting town which is uh, where you're based and where the mitten and mermaids hotel and restaurant are where your executive chef um i think i've been really interested reading your sort of um potted history in the momo no key book and um you touched on the fact that when you came to shrewsbury it was still quite traditional in its offering uh, of dining still sort of quite um embedded in the sort of french classical style in, in some ways and sort of what you you've sort of had a bit of an influence um by sort of your travel and what you've then brought to the town and what you've developed at the peach tree and subsequently um, and i think you've you've sort of touched on the fact that this is really been born out of your passion for all sorts of cuisines that you've experienced whilst traveling. And I know you're a massive, massive fan of Asia. Um, and you've been over there and I know, you know, you're particularly fond of Japanese food, but I think Pan-Asian food really is your, is your thing from what I can work out. So during these travels, sort of what tell us a little bit about sort of what you found and learned there that you then subsequently sort of brought back and blended with the the local produce really I've, I've always described it like this i got on the plane and obviously i learned i lived in africa and we you know we traveled in europe or whatever but i'd never been to asia and i got on the plane and everything was just black and white 
as soon as those doors opened and I stepped off the plane, it was like somebody turned the color on. And, uh, and I think that not just, not just visual, but the smells, the tastes, the textures, um, the diversity of the, uh, uh, of the, of the populace, but it was, it was like falling in love for the first time. And, and I think, you know, I've worked in and around Asia, um, on and off for, for many years. And even, even being here and having a job, I would just take a month off and just go and go to a place I've not been before just because, well, you can. And I, and I think, I think if more people took the opportunity, certainly more chefs, um, you're right. When I came to Shrewsbury, it, it was very traditional. The ingredients were good. Don't get me wrong, but everything was from a, a certain classical bias. And I think we lived through some interesting times because world food had always been a big thing anyway in this country. Was it traditional? No, it was a sort of hybrid food, a bit like Chinese takeaway food. It's hybrid because I remember the first time I went to Shenzhen and, um, I had no expectations of what film. I, I just thought, you know, this is just going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a beautiful Chinese. It, but the first dish I was presented with was deep fried pigeon heads. And uh, <laughs> I, I was sort of taken aback by that. But in turn, they were absolutely delicious and a wonderful, a wonderful experience to have. And, and, I, and I think travels like food, it broadens the mind and, the, and, and your mind palate as it were um and i think it's all very well and good trying to cook a curry at home or whatever but it, it, you feel so much more enriched having been there and been inspired by wonderful ingredients that you know you wouldn't necessarily ever see in a supermarket absolutely and it it really is you're right an absolute education that you can't get anywhere else and so sort of listening to you describing it sounds like a kaleidoscope of sort of colours, flavours, smells, tastes, very evocative. And I think that really does come through everything you do in your work, Chris. And, um, you know, you've got an eclectic style, uh, which is always evolving and moving from what I can see in your demonstrations and your work that you, you share via you know, social networks. It's beautifully presented. It's always very inspiring and colourful and full of character um, and charisma, I say, as well. So, you know, you can see where the sort of marriage comes from, sort of the influence of the travel and, and the food. And, I mean, I love travel too and, and the Ginger and Spice Festival we sort of explore culinary connections through the festival um, because Market Drayton is obviously connected to the spice trade routes being the home of gingerbread. I'm also sort of personally fascinated with it. I, I've spent quite a bit of time in India as well. And you're right, there's no better education than going abroad and exploring, meeting other people, other cultures. Um, you just can't, Absolutely. you can't compare that. There's no other way apart from just jumping in and, embracing it and actually Chris the sad thing is um, although we're having an amazing chat today it could have been very different because we we obviously had planned to go to India and do a little bit of um, we would have been stuck there <laughs> yeah we would have been stuck in India but because of obviously the, the the sort of health crisis global health crisis we didn't go we will go um, once things you know sort of move on um, and that would be very very exciting uh, but but you know 
it's still there's lots we can do from our homes there's lots we can do you know cooking right now anyway in terms of um spices because obviously this is the spice larder podcast um are there any particular spices that you've sort of found discovered or um enjoyed on your travels that you sort of incorporate now or you'd like to just tell us about really we do have some Um, spice fans i spent quite a bit of time playing around with spices quite early on and i and i would encourage anybody that is new to spices to to initially find what you like make your own and see how you get on because you know I, I've never been a massive fan of nutmeg, but used proportionately less in a recipe. I like it. It's when things are too overpowering for me. So, so I initially played around with lots and lots of different spices, and to find out what I really liked, uh, because I might like a mince pie, but I don't like nutmeg. You know, I like cinnamon, but I don't like too much cinnamon. Um, I adore turmeric but it can be quite astringent if you have too much. So for, for me, with, with the blending of the spices, be, be it Southeast Asian, be it Asian, be it South American, sometimes less is actually more and, and creating a, a palette of... Um, I, I, I'll note two, two, two case in points for me. is Yes, um, I do a lot. Um, I make a lot myself. But I, I got the opportunity to work with a wonderful fellow called Mr. Hamer. Now, he makes spice blends, and he's very, very bold um, um, in his flavours. And, and, and collectively, we came up um, with some new spices. Um, and this was Mr. One in particular was... Yeah, so uh, Mr. Wolf Urban Spices. You can check him out on www.mrwolfurbanspices.com. Um, and he sells a whole range of, uh, of, of spices. Um, that are that are his blend, so they're a take on a particular. So, so let's say I want to make some Peking duck, and I need some five spice. But the quality of some of the spices that you can buy in the supermarkets isn't good sometimes, and that's why I would encourage people to make their own. Mr. Wolf does make his own, and he makes quite possibly the most accurate five spice um, powder um, or blend I've ever tasted. It's called Plus. Five. Wow. And um, he comes up with all these wacky names. And, um, but he's certainly somebody that, after, after tasting and trying his stuff and then working with him, made me go away and go, right, okay, I'm going to have a crack at this one. I'm going to have a crack at that one. And, and you'll, you, you very quickly learn, um, I think, when using spices, um, what to use and what not to use, and what to use with what and what, what to use with not um and i think it's it's trial and error recipes are are good um and another go-to is uh masala magic legina now she's she's local to the area and uh, legina makes some absolutely wonderful indian spices and they're i don't want to say they're basic but they're very cleverly done because they they hit all the base pen notes that you need um, and if you want to add a bit more chili, you can add a bit more chili. And really, it's all in the finishing because, it, you know, you take somewhere like, um, you take Thai food or Vietnamese food, for instance, is all finished at the end. 
as opposed to a curry where you would start that process at the beginning. So you take something like a Vietnamese fur, a lot of the, a lot of the everything that's going to make it zing in your mouth is added towards the end. So I think a background knowledge of, of perhaps the, cu- the cuisine that people are trying to aspire to is always good. And, I, you know, I'd encourage everybody to read. There's so much, so much stuff on the internet that they can, you know, if they're, if they're really, truly interested, you know, making their own spice blends and um, just generally enjoying food, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Provenance of spice is really important. And I mean, that's a whole new topic to talk about. But um, it's a bit of a minefield for people because, uh, you know, spice is sold in supermarkets, but, you know, it's also sold all over the places. But you don't really always know the quality, where it's from. Um, and it's nice to work with smaller local producers who Absolutely. have much, much more transparency. And so you can ask those questions. Where have you sourced your spice? Where does it come from? Is it supporting people in, um, you know, cooperatives, which a lot of sort of local smaller businesses do and, you know, can, can share those stories. So it's, it's super. Um, so pairing of spice and food can be tricky for people. Um, if they don't, if they're not sort of foodies or, sh- or sort of a chef background, they might, might get a bit confused. One of the sort of classic spice pairings, spice food pairings, which I'm sure everybody will have tried by now, and if they haven't, they should, is the whole chili chocolate combo. Absolutely. And I know, Chris, that you are a huge chocolate fan. So um, just tell us a little bit about uh, what you think about chili and chocolates and what kind of chocolate you think you need to use to combine with chili or which chilies throwing it out there and seeing, you know, what you can come up with. Okay. Um, well, I've done it several times. I am the UK ambassador for Luca Chocolate. Just to give you a background on that, Luca Chocolate, um, Luca established in uh, 1906 in Colombia. They only make single origin Fino di Aroma chocolate. Uh, um, um, just, so, just explain what that means. Well, what, what that means, Julia, is that it's extremely regional. So in, um, it's not like you can just take a generic plant and put it anywhere. These are indigenous to the locale. So a Tamaco 65, for instance, chocolate, that comes from the, uh, from the Trinitivo pods. Um, and these, they only grow in that region. And the reason why I was so interested in Colombian chocolate is because Colombia is the most uh, topographically diverse country in the world so in terms of their topography you can and you look at colombia as a whole you've got the caribbean caribbean coastline in the north you've got the amazon in the middle you've got desert regions and then you've of course you've got areas like bogota which is the highest capital in the world so in terms of the chocolate and coffee that they grow they're extremely different and we're possibly only talking You've travelled a thousand miles, but the uh, the pains me to say it. The terroir uh, shines through um, in in those flavours. And and what 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 really hooked me, especially when I went to Colombia and I saw this myself, was that when they grew grew the cacao pods, in between every single row was panela, so sugarcane. Wow. So. No refined sugar goes into any of those chocolates. It's the sugarcane, unrefined sugar, that goes to sweeten 
their chocolate, which I, I thought was wonderful because everything is, it's locked in, it's locked down. It, it, you will never, ever get a better flavour in chocolate than that. And, 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 and it's sad to say, but in this country, what most people eat is not chocolate, you know? Sure. Going back to chilli and chocolate. Yes. What I, what I would use is I would use, and I've done this many times, I would only use the higher end range of the chocolate. So um, in specific terms, possibly a, a 65% tomato, which actually, in, if you to translate that into British terms, would be like a Bourneville, and a Bourneville is meant to be an 85, but it doesn't contain enough cacao mass really for it to be a, a, a considered a, a high-range chocolate. So even a 60% Colombian is still stronger than an 80% uh, British manufactured chocolate bar. So I would use a 65. It is quite strong. Um, I would also add a little salted caramel through there, and the chilli that I would use is quite possibly a habanero. Spicy little number with packs a bit of a punch. Spicy little number, but that's why they salted caramels in there because you need that you need that salty sweet to balance it. Otherwise, it's just raw chocolate and chili. And 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 we, what we know about spice is that it 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 adds depth. It's it's another palette another palette of paint that you can brush on your food. You know, um, one of my favourite spices of all time is pepper. And I think it's so underutilized. I, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in, in Cambodia and I was in Kep and Kampot. And those are the only peppercorns I use now. They are so fragrant, they're delicious. They, they even take the, the, the fresh berries and I've got packets of these. I absolutely love the stuff. And then when they're just green and they're not dried in the sun, they pickle and ferment them. Oh my God! They're, now they're amazing with chocolate. Or even I was going to say, yeah. yeah, I can imagine that working really well. Yeah, I mean they're they're so fragrant and and there's so much perfume and I think I think pepper is just for a lot of people it's an afterthought seasoning. Um, but certainly if you if you check out some Cambodian recipes, certainly from the um, southern area of the country, taking into account places like Sihanoukville. The cuisine is very, very driven um, by peppercorns. Yeah, I mean, putting pepper as start of the dish is uh, something that is definitely not embraced in, in UK cooking. I know that. Um, and actually, when we do have um, a focus on pepper being spice of the month, we'll get you back, Chris, to, to talk about that because it's quite a fascinating topic, actually. I, I think it is. And I, I think there's a real inequality between pepper and salt, because Malden, for instance, or whoever, an artisan salt maker, charges an absolute fortune for a, for a, a tub of salt, but the pepper manufacturers can't charge the same because there's a real inequality between the two, but actually there should be a perfect marriage between the two because they're both, they're both exciting um that were you know salts are seasoning but but pepper is a spice and it's a spice in its own right and i dare say if you got a hundred people and said and asked them is pepper a spice they'd say no it's a seasoning it's not it's a spice that's really really fascinating um yeah we should 100 percent explore that uh i mean i'm a huge pepper fan uh i do try and make it star of the show in some dishes 
uh, but I know it has been forgotten. And you're right. I think people do look at it as a seasoning. It's just yeah. sort of just sort of salt and pepper left on the table. And when we talk oh, about a mistake, yeah, yeah, and that's you know rather than cook with it, mm. you know. Great. Well, um, yeah. I, and I, just going back to the the Chilean chocolate, I think you're right. I tasted some products that they haven't quite managed to sort of blend or marry the two ingredients properly. And that's why I was interested you touching on the sort of salted caramel chocolate. I think you said salted chocolate, sorry. Um, because sometimes you can taste the chocolate and then you wait and then suddenly there's a really like strong hit of chili at the end. And I sort of, for me, I prefer it when it's sort of blended together and, and the flavors sort of marry. Yeah. I, th I think when people make chili chocolate, um, they're all excited about it, you know, because they like chocolate, they like chilli. But the chilli's the afterthought. And really, it shouldn't be. Um, it shouldn't be just, you know, you've got a lovely chocolate ganache mix and then you throw in some bird's eyes at the end. It's, it's just not going to work. You know, the chilies, the for instance, would uh, uh, need to be toasted or they need to be dried. And you know, you need to pop them in a pan to release those oils, which is gonna blend with the chocolate. You can't just expect, because you may as well just get a piece of chocolate and rub it with the chili if, that, if that's what you're gonna do. And you're, and you're not gonna bring out all those natural flavors. And you know, if people are making chili chocolate, what I would urge them to do is taste, taste, taste. Um, and a lot of people don't do that. They, they cook with their eyes and just, that'll be enough. No, stir it, taste it, leave it a while, taste it. Um, because there's no, like you say, there's no point in going, it's got that strong chocolate and then, and then two minutes later, your throat's on fire because you got the balance wrong. Yeah. And, and it is about the balance. And, and like I said, too sweet a chocolate, I find, you taste, you don't taste the chocolate so much that what you have on the back of your throat is sugar. And too much sugar and too much chili isn't very nice. So, so in Thailand, for instance, how to balance that? You would use a fish sauce, which is salt and it's aromatic. You would have chili and you would put sugar and you would put a bit of acidity with the lime. Now that's not equate. I'm not saying make fish sauce, chili, chocolate. <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I'm saying is, is, that, is that that is, that's the balance right there. So if you can balance those four, you're going to have a tremendous product. So, yeah, it's basically for people starting to understand the different tastes and sort of balances needed when, when cooking and preparing, um, you know, any kind of dish, really. And then once you know that, you can start to experiment a bit more. But I think for some people, it's a, you know, it's a confidence thing and they don't really understand uh, those qualities. But, um, you know, that's why we have experts like yourself teaching us, Chris. Um, just last thing about spices, which a lot of people do ask, is how is the best way to store them to preserve them? Um, because typically we, we <coughs> rush out, a recipe says we need, you know, five spice, as you said, or, you know, some allspice. You rush out, you buy it, you use a little bit, and then it just stays lingering around. It's reminding me of the Michael McIntyre <laughs> a uh, comedy sketch about five spice who says he always gets left on the spice rack but um you know what is the best way to to store these spices okay well in general my spices are never around long enough um that that i have to worry about that but what we do um is let's say 
one of my chefs has made a spice mix or I've made one at the mitten, uh, we immediately backpack it. So we remove any air because air is going to be the thing that's going to, and, and these little jars, you know, from the supermarket, they're not good. And equally, that's why I'd say make your own because you know it's fresh uh, and you're not, how long? What's the shelf life on a, on a turmeric? It's huge. And you don't know how long. And there are air in them when you buy them. So the more, the more that is exposed to the air, the flavor goes down. And all you're left with is a collard powder. So I would urge everybody to get a vac packer. You know, they're really cheap now. You know, you can buy them from Amazon. Put, put it in. And, you know, every time you use it, you can always reseal the bag. Fantastic. So we want to have encourage and inspire um, people to be their own spice chefs, prepare their own things and keep it fresh and tasty. So Chris, you should run a competition, Julia. Go on. Ginger and spices, people make their own spices and, and you, we cook it and then you claim a winner. I like that. Perfect. It's a great idea. Let's definitely develop that one. Um, so Chris, it's been fascinating talking to you. Um, We've learned a lot as normal. Um, what I just want to, a couple of things I want to just ask you. First of all, if somebody hasn't come across your, um, your books uh, or they haven't come across you before, where can they go to find out about, a bit more about you, a bit more about Missing a Mermaid, anything else you're involved in, like Rivertown, your pop-up experience? Um, where can they get more information? Okay, so if anybody wants to buy a copy of Momonoki, I think there's only softbacks left now, but it, if you just put in Momonoki cookbook, Christopher Burt, on Amazon, um, you can order it online. Anybody want any more details about me, you can just hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, Chef Chris Burt, or Twitter, Chris Burt Chef. Um, yeah, and all the links are there to uh, rivertownclan.com. And, you know, when this crisis is all over, uh, we'll be back. Plenty of pop-ups. And, you know, hopefully we can get those planes in the air and, um, and get back to seeing, you know, some... I can't wait to get, get off a plane, land in a strange country and go straight to the market. I want to see that colour. I want to see that vibrance. I, I can't wait. And, 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 you know, if there are positives to come out of what is currently going on, and maybe it'll make us a little bit more aware of the environment, aware of the strain that we'd, we'd, we'd possibly put on NHS. Families will be closer together and we'll all go and have some wonderful times abroad and, and you know, go and check out some spices. That's fantastic, Chris. And this, I'm springing this upon you now um, because it's a new idea I've come up with. But I'd really like to create um, a playlist um, for the show so for all my guests that have been on to choose one song to pop on to a spice larder playlist have you got one song that's just come to mind today that you want to dedicate to the playlist does it have to be spice related no it can be anything you like uh and if you can't think of it now you can let me know later and we can add it no do, no, do you know what i suppose in honor of ginger and spice uh we'll say the spice girls Fantastic. You want. There you go, because you were the Spice Boys, so... Absolutely, you were, I think you were Posh Spice, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I pulled it off, I think. Yeah. Apart from were... the beard. 
Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. There's nothing, um, well, the food theatre, uh, there are two words in that, uh, in that phrase, and they are food and theatre, and you definitely pulled that off, Chris. There was so much theatre there. Fantastic. So it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show as my guest. Thank you so much, Chris. And we wish you all the best of luck with all your future projects. Do keep in touch and stay safe. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to catch up with Chef Chris Burt. I can't wait to see him soon on the circuit and at the next pop-up event or festival. You'll be able to catch him at our Ginger and Spice Virtual Festival in September. You've been listening to The Spice Larder a brand new podcast brought to you by the Ginger and Spice Festival. Thanks to everyone who took part in and helped produce this podcast. And if you don't know who we are, go to the About Us page via the website gingerandspicefest.co.uk. So you don't miss a show, subscribe to our podcast today. And if you like what you've heard, consider giving us a review via Apple or Google Podcasts as this really helps others find us. We regularly post news, features, recipes and competitions via our monthly e-bulletin. Sign up now by visiting our website homepage or emailing us at gingerandspicefest at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in to next month's edition of the Spice Larder podcast and until then, happy spicing.